when there's a shift change in the uh, fast food restaurants, um, there has to be a procedure for the money to be counted. And a lot of times the shift change um, will then dictate that the money is counted and then it's, then it's put away and now a new shift will come in and that way there's an accounting. Uh, multiple years ago, uh, and, and I think this may still be true, but multiple years ago, Kentucky Fried Chicken um, gave their meals in a little box. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been to the square meal deal. It's what they called it at the time. And uh, there was a shift change, and whoever was in charge of that shift, um, she, she put all the money into one of those square meal deal boxes and closed it and uh, was just about to take it back to the office when uh, she was called for a, a semi-emergency. Something had broken. She knew how to just reset it. When she turned around, um, the, the box was gone, and one of the fabulous attendants that worked there thought this was the uh, order and uh, put it in a bag and gave it to the man uh, in the car. And uh, they drove off, and uh, the manager said, where did the money go? And true story. And, um, and the, uh, the fabulous attendant who worked there said, I thought that was the square meal deal chicken. And the manager said, well, it's over. <laughs> We're never going to see that again. Let's not get too upset. I'll write a note. I'll write all the stuff. I'll go to my office and tell and write it down. We'll have to just sign a bunch of signatures. And just what happened? What are we going to do? Everybody was a little upset, you know. The man who received the, um, the box with $540 and some change in it drove away. They opened up the box and he handed it to, of course, two of them, you know, man and a woman. She got her chicken. He did not. He opened up his and received $540 in his box, which provokes, provokes me to always want to go to those establishment during the shift change. Not really. Um, and so he said, where's my chicken? I, I, I want some chicken. I, I came through to get some chicken. And he said, we cannot keep this. This is a mistake. <laughs> Who would have thought? He drives back, parks the car, goes inside of the, of the Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he's carrying his box, and he puts it on the counter, and he asks for the manager, and the manager comes over and says, I asked for a square meal deal, crispy and original. And this is what I got. He opens up this box with all this money in it, and they're so happy. They're, of course, oh my goodness, you know, he, he returned. What an awesome man. What a great man, you know. They have their cameras out. They want to take a picture of him. They want his name. He said, no, I just would like to have my chicken. Let me just, can I just have my square meal deal? He gets it. He's walking around. They're following him out to the car. They're all, they're several of them because 
the, the chaos is over and no paperwork has to be filed and, and, and what a great man and oh, and they're wanting to say, can we just take a picture of you? We're, we're so happy you're such a great man of integrity. Oh, you're a great man of integrity. And he stopped and he got upset and he said, listen, the woman that I have in the car with me right now is not my wife and the last thing I want is a picture. So, you have enough integrity not to cheat Kentucky Fried Chicken, but you don't have enough integrity not to cheat on your spouse. So I say to you, being successful in one area does not cover up for the infraction in another. Integrity is not something that is taken at intermittent times, or gathered at high points of life. It is a way of life. I teach tonight about the home and the family, and we're renewing a call for personal integrity. And I'm just in your handout now. The great misnomer among church members is that the better the church, the better the home. Of course, this is not true. The opposite is actually true. The more secure, godly discipline, the home, marriage, family, the healthier the church. While much emphasis is put upon the conduct at the church, the reality of our daily walk occurs mostly at home and or away from the church. Integrity then comes into question as home life and family life are deemed less than important than the public display. However, if personal integrity is to find its footing, then the majority of our work must be accomplished in the home and among the family. The fact is that we are what we are when we are around our family. This is pretty basic information. But for our lesson tonight, let's just consider a few differences between the church and the home. The church is established by Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. The Bible says so. Now the church is much grander. We're we're, we're talking about really the church not being a building but the church. However, we also have to consider that in our day that we call this area the church. I'll also refer to it as the corporate body. It's also established through the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets. Of course, this is also the Bible. That's called the foundation. That means that you don't get to add anything to the Bible or interpret it the way you want. I can either. Because we're built upon the apostles' doctrine. And this is what the Bible says. It's our foundation, the foundation of all beliefs. The apostles' doctrine is not a denominational doctrine. Did you know that? It is the Bible doctrine. In fact, the Bible calls it the apostles' doctrine. And the apostles' doctrine came from Jesus Christ. He's the one who taught them personally for three and a half years. And then finally, in, in, in every sense, both corporately, both the structure of this building, and then the church worldwide, just beyond building, it is also uh, established by the home and the family because there are many places that don't have an edifice or a church house. So the church is in fact established by the home and the family. The church is led by the Holy Spirit. Any church that's not led by the Holy Spirit it has a problem. There's, there's inherent bondage when there's not the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, for the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Lord is that spirit. The Bible says, now there is one spirit, one hope, as you're called. So there's only one spirit. So just so everyone knows, the church has to be led by the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit is the guide of our lives. In fact, in, in, in one particular verse, the Bible said that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit has to be the lead and guide of the entire church. But, but the church is also led by the infallible word of God. This is, this is a key point. And of course, we're not, going to, we're not going to talk about it in length here. But the infallible word of God is what leads the church. Not personal opinions, not other writings or commentaries about the word of the Lord. Because a commentary could have 99% truth in it and 1% something that would be misleading. So we're led by the infallible word of God. And number three, it's led by the fivefold ministry. Because the, because the Bible said, and he gave. Some, ready? Apostles, that's the thumb. Some prophets. That's the pointing finger. It points foretelling. That's in the future. And foretelling, that's the present. The, the prophet foretells. He points forward. And he points to the present. He forth tells. He foretells. And he forth tells. And then the evangelist. He's, he's the finger. He goes out further. He is the evangelist. He is the gatherer. Then the pastor. They used to say that, that this, the ring finger... Uh, was a, had a, had a, I don't know if this is right, some of you medical folks can tell me, but there was a, there was a vein that led directly to the heart from this finger. But anyway, it's the marriage, it's, it's, it's a covenant. The evangelist, he, he, he may not be, he may not be connected to the church like the pastor. The evangelist, he's, a, he's, he is a gatherer, but the, the, the pastor is connected, and then the teacher, of course, there's interesting dialogue there, pastors and teachers. It's almost as if, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, as if almost they were one and the same or they fulfilled the same direction, which it doesn't work if we want to call it the fivefold ministry. They'd be fourfold. So let's just leave it at fivefold because we like it better. But every pastor has to be apt to teach too. So this is what, how the church is led. It's not... The apostle is the one that connects all of them. He, he, he can grip. He touches. I've taught you many times. He's the one who grips. Uh, when they would conquer a king, they cut off their thumb so they could never lead in battle. They wouldn't be able to grip the sword. Um, this is the apostle probably has already been a teacher and a pastor and evangelist and a prophet. So this is how the church is led. We're built upon the chief cornerstone. The foundation is the doctrine the home and the family is established. Without the home and the family, there is no church. Trust me when I tell you this. Every society, you don't have to trust me. Look it up. Every society that has ever crumbled, crumbled when the nuclear family was destroyed. If you go back to Rome, you'll find out that Rome instituted every day of the year games. Of course, we all know of the Colosseum, but there was many other forums for games. Rome also became a great uh, sexual perversion, the debauchery of Rome, crumbled Rome, so they were entertained and they were, they were, they were caught in sexual perversions, even though they had a senate, they had Alexander, the, the phenomenal library, the wisdom of the senate and the government, it was all destroyed because of their entertainment and their sexual perversions. When the family was destroyed, all other functions were destroyed. So if the home and the family are dysfunctional, then everything else, all other things are found with a similar thread. We could never, we could, 
this church could never be greater than the strength of the individual home and the family. It cannot be greater than that. It can be less than that, but it cannot be greater than that. So let's talk about the first church, the first church, Acts 2.46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. It's an interesting thought because, excuse me, because we're not really sure that the first, these early church even had a building like we would know until maybe 300 years after Pentecost. It's very likely that there was no building even like we would think of it until maybe two or 300 years after Pentecost. So where did they have the church? Well, they had it at home and they had it at the temple. So let's consider the temple for a moment. The temple was under control of the Pharisees, the religious orders. In fact, the temple priests were in direct uh, authority in the temple. And the temple, of course, was a meeting place long before the day of Pentecost. It was a meeting where scriptures would be read. Even Jesus went into the temple and read from the book of Isaiah. He, he had a turn and book, read from the book of Isaiah. The Old Testament scripture readings took place in the temple. And sacrifices and prayers and teachings. And the temple represented a central meeting place. Especially for the early church. It was a central meeting place where they gathered. So people from all, all surrounding areas could gather there. The temple was also... By tradition, it was, it was a traditional place. It had tradition. I would just warn everybody, don't think that tradition is a bad thing. Thanksgiving is a tradition. We don't eat crab legs, shrimp, and catfish, or tofu on Thanksgiving. Now, if you do that, I hope you do it every year. God love you. We've got to pray for you. We want to reorient you with Thanksgiving turkey, ham, and other things. This is Thanksgiving. It's a tradition. Your birthday is a tradition. Incidentally, it's Brother Zach's birthday and Sister Rochelle's birthday today. Happy birthday to both of you today. We don't really know how it happened. We're not sure how it happened, but we found out that suddenly uh, Brother Zach finally got older than Sister Rochelle. We don't know how that took place, but but it's him. This tradition is very important. We have a tradition. This is what, here, here is part of what happened with the temple. And finally, it was a place of worship. There was worship taking place. In fact, if you even go today, anytime. The first time I went was many, many years ago. But I, I watched footage of, of even farther, decades ago, where worship was still being, being conducted as if it were inside the temple, though it was not. It was at the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. Worship was still taking place. So that was the temple. That was this meeting place, the central place. But that wasn't the only place because house to house was the key. In fact, it's very clear that house to house church ministry function was more prevalent than the meeting place of the temple. So I would just say tonight, as we're, as we're going through our lesson, that it's critical that the home and the family not only maintains its integrity, but we've got to strengthen our integrity in our home. Now, not everyone here in the church is married. We're, 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 
the church is, is, is made up of many different people. There are single fathers and single mothers. There are blended families here. Um, some folks are married. Some folks are about to get married. Um, some folks are about to find out that someone would like to marry them. Um, so all of that's taking place right now. And for a nominal fee, I'll tell you who, who's who. So, so let's talk about this integrity of the corporate body. And, and when I speak now of the church, I'm speaking about all of us corporately, the integrity, the church. This place hinges on what happens in the home. Everything that we do is hinged on what happens in the home. So fathers and mothers and single fathers and single mothers and grandparents and family members and foster parents and guardians all contribute to the health of the church through the integrity that's displayed and practiced at the home. Now here's what the church provides. The church provides a place of unified worship among the people. You need to be here to hear the worship, to participate in the worship, to have corporate worship. But there are no requirements for anyone who wants to walk into this house. Anyone can walk into this house and worship the Lord with everyone. This place is a house of prayer and a house of worship. Those are two very key functions. The church is a place where the word of God can be heard. Preaching, teaching, direction for life can be taught. Now, I added something to this because... There is a limitation on the church. And that is that we're limited to general subjects that are derived from the scripture. We're limited to general subjects derived because there are some subjects that are not meant for your pastor to teach. One, sometimes people ask me different, different questions about church. And I, every time we have a baby dedication, I'm always just incredibly amazed at all the men who come forward. And, and I thank God for all of you men. Thank you for being part of the church. Thank you because the national statistics most recently said that about 70% of the people who go to church are women. Very few men. In fact, less men are going to church. And someone asked me, well, why? Why do you think you have so many men? And, of course, my patented answer is because I refuse to be the husband of every woman in the church. And... and but this is not always how it was because, because it used to be a very dictatorial thing where men, the pastor, would try to direct all of the women. Let me tell you, God gave you a husband. Thank God he gave you that husband. Not only can I not afford, can I not afford you, but I have one wife and, that, and, and, and that's enough. And I won't talk about that anymore because I could be quoted incorrectly. This is the key. Some things are be, should be taught by the fathers and by the spiritual heads of your home. Now, you might say, well, pastor, my husband's coming to church or I'm a single mother. I want to tell you, you have the authority to speak truth and lead your families in very specific subjects that I will not cover here. And it would be inappropriate for me to cover here. How are we doing now? <laughs> this is the church. It's a place where the storehouse is recognized. Malachi 3. I will teach you in no uncertain terms as I've done for the last 19 years. You should never give any money to TBN or to another broadcasting place or to another, or to another mission while you have the opportunity to give to your local church. We have missionaries. We have evangelists. We have ministries right here. Why would you, why would you take money and give it to someone who you don't even know who's qualified? 
Now, of course, if you'd like to, to have further conversation with, with, with that, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Because I'm happy to point out a few things. A, f- a friend of mine was singing at the TBN station about 12 years ago, 15 years ago now, I'm sorry. And when she got done singing, she said, you do not realize. I, she said, I didn't realize. I wouldn't sing. And there's a, there's a loft where they all go and there's an open bar. And by the time that all of that day was done, everyone who had been on the TBN network were drunk. I'm not afraid to even say these things because someone's going to have to stand up and say, there's a lot of debauchery out there posing as... And they're charlatans. They're posing as religious uh, uh, aristocrats. And, and God forbid that the church gets... Now, I'm not saying that everyone on those networks are doing wrong. I'm not saying everyone is evil. I'm just telling you that, that this is the storehouse. This is a storehouse according to Malachi chapter 3. I'm not telling you that everyone who's ever been, been recorded... But you, you ought to be very careful... Before you send funds into a ministry for which you cannot qualify. Well, all right. We'll just, we'll just move on. You know, I, I, I don't want to move on. Once I feel like I'm on something that no one likes, that's where I would like you to stay. Because I'm here to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Amen. That's really not what God called me to do, but let me move on. So here's number five. It's a place of refuge, a lighthouse for the lost. It's incredible how many people have come to the church, but they didn't know anyone here. But they came to this house, and it became a place of refuge. It became a lighthouse. And if you look in the Bible, the cities of refuge, which I preached about, I won't labor now, but the cities of refuge were, were, were sort of like a, like a type and shadow of what the church is meant to be. And finally, it's a place of community. I'm not really fond of the word community, but I, I think it has validity given the right circumstances. We are a church, but it is a place of community for all ages. The demographics can come, connect with like-minded believers. I'm glad that our young people can enjoy the benefit of other young people and our children can enjoy the benefit of other young people. You're not going to get that if you just stay home. Your children need community in a place where there's like-minded people. And I, of course, for years we've been watching Nico and his nine buddies, his eight buddies rather, on the front row. And, and about three or four years ago we watched it for the first time where they were praying. And, and most of them were praying. But one guy next to him, one little boy next to him was not praying. And he elbowed him and said, cry, man, cry. <laughs> so um, this is how we learn here in this community. <laughs> Let's talk about the home. Now, now we go to the home. The home is the place where the word is taught. Uh-oh, really? You mean the word has to be taught at, the, at home? Let me just tell you what our devotion was today. We talked this morning, early in the morning, about a kinsman redeemer. Who was that? And it, was, it, it turned out so well that I felt like, man, I'm, I'm learning some new things about it. The word has to be taught in the home. So as I promote this week after week I, and, and month after month, I, I keep declaring this. It'd be great if you would turn off televisions and radios and open up the Bible once in a while. In fact, if I could negotiate with you a little bit, I would just say, can we just take 10% of the time that we use in media and open up the scripture around the table? 
Praise the Lord. Um, this is critical to our lives. The word is taught and rehearsed on a, what is it? A daily basis. Daily word. And I say, if the only time you ever hear the scripture read is in this house, you are spiritually anemic. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, eat the the word of God every day of your life. Even if it's just one scripture, although I submit to you, read a chapter every day. Number two, the home is a place where correct conduct is exampled. We're working on that because the kitchen table is where we learned all things. We learned about servanthood. We learned about communication. It's a place where worship and consecration occurs. It's a place of worship and consecration. There's worship in the home. I think, I'm, I'm thinking that both Alexandra and Nicholas received the Holy Ghost at our house. Uh, I remember, I remember we were praying and, 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 and it was a, it was a wonderful prayer time at the Hudson home and Alexandra was praying for the Holy Ghost and the boys came in and Roman helped and he was praying for her and she received the Holy Ghost in her bedroom. And it wasn't too many years ago that, that Nico had a real bad day at school. He was not doing well and Tammy was sitting on his bed with him and talking to him. He was, you know, he was upset about some things and he started to cry. And, and of course, the first time that Alexandra received the Holy Ghost, we thought he was very, very young and he was crying. We didn't know why he was crying. He told us that he was crying because the dog had died and the dog had died. Uh, um, and so he was sad about that. He wasn't real familiar with the Holy Ghost. But later on, um, he was praying and he received the Holy Ghost in his bedroom. That does not happen without worship in the home. There has to be worship in the home. I would just say there's a lot of miracles left on the table and a lot of Holy Ghost and feelings left on the table because we're reserving all of our prayer time for the church. And when we get into the church, you might want to break out, you know, in the sweet hour of prayer. I'm ready to move on. I want you to have a little talk with Jesus. Those are two old songs, by the way, if you didn't know that. All right. So, you know, humor is lost when people have never sang the hymns. All right. So, so this, is, this is important that worship is in the home. And it should be a place of consecration. Number four, where family structure maintains disciplines, respect, honor, and work ethic. How do we teach our children that? And I say to everybody, be careful how you describe the way you have raised your family. No one ever raised their children in church. I don't see any beds, cots, or dressers here. I don't, I don't see any restrooms with bathtubs. You raise them at your home. You only brought them to the church a couple of times a week. The home is where honor and respect and where work ethic occurs. Number five, it's where we live out the scripture in everyday settings. Perhaps the greatest lessons of our life are happened in everyday settings. Maybe the, the way we learn is in everyday settings. See, when the home is not in order, the church suffers. And when prayer and the principles of scriptures are omitted, the church suffers. Our spiritual walk with God, I hope everyone can hear this now, does not begin and end on Sundays. Never on Sundays. When I talk about integrity, I'm challenged on integrity. 
These, this is a very dangerous lesson. These are very dangerous lessons to teach. Because uh, anytime you teach the word of the Lord or preach, uh, the devil fights you on those. He'll always bring it up, you know. If you teach about patience, somebody will cut you off on your way home. If you teach about giving, you'll find out that you don't have any more money. <laughs> if you teach about love, then you'll, you'll figure out a whole bunch of stuff right away that you don't like. I'm, I'm not going to list every, every patriarch or matriarch because there are many. In fact, I don't even know if there's any who, who are exempt here. But I want to talk a little bit about the patriarch's struggle, and I'll begin with Moses. Before you write in your handouts, Moses was Israel's greatest leader. He, they would call him the deliverer. He was often, however, intemperate. And the, the, the three segments of his life, he was 40 years in, in Egypt, he was 40 years in being a shepherd in Midian, and he was 40 years in the wilderness. He had three segments of his life. The end of the first segment and the, and the commencement of, of the second began with a violent temper. And you would think that even after God had done all the great things that he had done and after 40 years that he would have conquered that, but he did not. He had a, he had a problem. Let me just tell you, people who have a violent temper have an integrity problem. It's an integrity problem. And he killed a man in cold blood and of course this was found out was known was going to be reported and he he ran away he finds himself in the desert and there's a there is a bush that's burning and God's speaking and that leads him on so after the 40 years there's the bush and then he's on to Pharaoh um, the Lord then instituted types and shadows so even though Moses may not have understood a type a capital T Y P E a type God was not content to allow anyone to interrupt, interrupt the type. Don't ever mess with the type. So the Passover, where the lamb was killed, was a type of Jesus Christ, who died on the Passover. He was the lamb of God, the type. The blood that was put on the doorpost applied. And they would eat the lamb, all the lamb inside, the blood on the outside. That's a type of the blood and the spirit inside. We, we are born again. That's a type. So when Moses was instructed to speak to the rock. He had already hit the rock once and water gushed out. Then God said they were thirsty and God said, now go speak to the rock. But he was angry with the people, so he struck the rock the, the second time and he interrupted the type because Christ would not be struck twice. And because of his disobedience, God kept him out of the promised land. Think of that. So he has, the first problem he has is a temper problem. This is an integrity issue and it's going to follow him most of the days of his life. He's got a temper issue. It could be because he grew up spoiled, wearing the royal robes of the Egyptians' uh, wardrobe. But there's a second thing, and I, and I will be cautious about this, but I think I could, there, this is an adult session, so I'll just say this. It's a scripture. I don't know if you read this scripture very often. Of course, it's not probably anyone's favorite scripture, but it's Exodus chapter 4. And um, I didn't put it on your handout, but 
but, but you could look it up if you'd like to later, but in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24 through 26. So all of these things have been happening, and he actually has led these people. He's done this. In fact, he makes great demands of the people. He tells the people what to do. But you know, if you tell someone what to do, but don't do it yourself, you've got a big problem. You know, that's, that's an issue if you, if you demand. In fact, if you're a leader and you're telling people how to live and you're not living that way, there's a big problem. Of course, the Lord was about to kill Moses. He struck Moses with some, uh, some disease, perhaps. And his wife, Zipporah, knew why. And the reason why is because they had not circumcised their son And that should have happened at least in the first eight days of his birth. But he was far past the time. And if he did not obey, see Moses put it off or he was in whatever, for whatever reason, he was in violation of God's command. God commanded that in Genesis 17 and 10. Moses knew God's command. This is Exodus 4. And so he he was disobeying God, but... The problem with his life of integrity was he was promoting the laws of the Lord and the things of the Lord among the people, but he was failing at home. He wasn't doing at home what he told other people to do publicly. And so it was Zipporah that saved him and her son. And she's the one who decided, let me see if I can get God to to take back his wrath on you. And so she's the one who circumcised her son. And, and um, she was very angry with her husband and said so in those scriptures. And the reason why is because of the circumcision. She was very upset. So Moses had some problems with hypocrisy. He had a problem leading his own sons. And in fact, in one particular place, he left his family for a while because he was pursuing other things of God. But this was not really what he should have done. He sent his family back to Jethro. If you look in chapter 18, you'll find this. So there's some, some major issues with Moses. He's consumed with the work of the people, but, but he, he, he's not leading his sons correctly. So in, in chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, he sends them back to his father-in-law. And so even in this patriarch's life, he's got a problem with personal integrity at his own home. Personal integrity. Let me, let me present to you Samuel, who is a very complex individual in that he is a phenomenal man. He's an incredible man. Very few men are like Samuel. In fact, Samuel will occupy a role that maybe no one else had occupied in the Bible. He was a prophet. He was a high priest. He was a leader. He was the judge. He was the go-to man of all the nation. He was the one who anointed kings. He anointed two Kings of Israel. He was the one who anointed them. He began this, this process. He passed off the authority, even though he didn't want to, he passed it off from, from him having the authority to Saul having the authority, the first king. But he had some issues. And even though there was none like him, you've got to think of how powerful he was. He served the Lord, never having access to the Ark of the Covenant. He served as a high priest and never had access to the Ark of the Covenant because King Saul never inquired, the Bible says, after the Ark the entire time. Both he and Samuel held their respective positions. But he had a lot of problems when it came to home life. And the failure of Samuel to profit 
by the mistake of his predecessor, Eli, is very clear. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they, they had affairs with the women. They stole from the temple. They, 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 conducted, um, they, they conducted mismanagement of money. They stole things from the people. They misled people. And, and Samuel saw all of that, knew all of that, but he did not profit. He did not take that exampleship and he did not teach his sons correctly. This is the main problem. It was exampleship. The absence of a holy pattern and example was determinative. This is what happened to Samuel. He was leading other people, but he was failing in his own home. He was failing in his own home. And number two, he elevated his sons to a place of spiritual authority when they had no right to be in that role. Because the absence of rebuke was detrimental. And I listed it on your handout for you. It came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. What a shame. Now the name of the firstborn son was Joel. The name of the second was Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered. Think of what happened here. Let's consider the Jewish thought. Consider the Jewish thought here for a moment. Samuel was respected. Samuel could lead, letter B, he could lead the people. He anointed kings, letter C. Samuel's lack of integrity at home became the catalyst for a new form of leadership. It wasn't just that the people were looking around, trying to be like other nations. The judges, the men that were over them, Samuel's sons were failing the people. They were failing the people. If you read the scripture... Here's what they said. All the elders gathered themselves to Samuel at Ramah and said, Behold, you're old. And what's the next line? And thy sons walk not in thy way. Now make us a king. When the sons did not do what the father had done because the father didn't take care of the home, what what happened? We want a new form of government. Because we don't need the spiritual government. It has failed us. Let's have organizations, programs, plans, and processes. Let's have a whole board or committee. Let's run this like, like all the other nations run it because they're not spiritual and we're not spiritual. We might as well just have us a king. Are you understanding what's happening here? So Samuel did not learn from Eli, letter D, as both sets of sons were granted powerful positions for which they were not qualified to hold. The worst thing that could ever happen to any assembly is for a pastor's son to occupy the pastor's position when he has not proven himself in prayer, sacrifice, or the word. And he's only doing it because that's a great way to make a living. When my father was ready to resign from his church and retire because they were wiped out and wore out and they said we're ready for a new pastor to come in. He never went to my brother and said, Scott, would you like to be the pastor? He never went to me and said, Jeffrey, would you like to come and be the pastor of our church in Troy? Here's this beautiful piece of property. Here's this building. We've got it all set up for you. Here's people. Would you like to come in? It's a ready-made church. He never offered the church to us. That's not how we thought it should happen. They prayed and sought God. And a young man about my age, my age, was praying at the same time and they connected. And all of a sudden, the burden connected and it was the right thing. Of course, my mother says that my brother has the birthright because he's the firstborn son. And that he gets the lion's share, the birthright of whatever mom and dad have, which is exciting for me because I think most of what they're leaving behind is bills and cookbooks. (laughs) It's your birthright, Brother Scott. You got it. 
<laughs> so when you, when you want to say, well, Israel, you know, they wanted a king because they looked at all the nations. Sure they did, but read the scripture. How did it fall in succession? I'll tell you how it fell. Samuel was busy doing ministry and not paying attention to his sons who didn't walk in his way. But they perverted the judgment. They, had, they took bribes. They were after money. And they said, well, listen, we, we need someone who can lead us. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel, of course, when they said that. Now Samuel was upset. Please don't admit that portion of scripture when you think about what happened. Samuel, yes, incredible man. And the last letter there, the desire for a king was in direct response to the lack of integrity in Samuel's house. His house determined the nation. Can you imagine? Our houses determine the church. Our houses. Our houses determine the church. Finally, Abraham. Abraham had his own issues with his own personal integrity. You know, Abraham lied on two different occasions to save himself. First time with a pharaoh, the second time with a man named Abimelech, because Sarah was beautiful. And he said, look, we're going to go into this place, and you are very beautiful. Let's say that you're my sister, which was really half the truth, but who knows that half, half the truth is a full lie. Raise your right hand, Scout's Honor. Someone told me this is Scout's Honor. I didn't even really know. I put two fingers up. That's peace. Scout's honor. Half the truth is a full lie. Let's say you're my sister. That was a lie. He was lying. He was lying right through his teeth. He said, listen, let's just say that because they'll hurt me. That's kind of a selfish guy, right? Come on, that's selfish in any age. I don't care if you're a Hebrew or an American. Listen, when we get in this place, just tell them we're cousins. Why? Because they might beat me up to get you. Oh, chivalry. He lied. This is, a, this is a man who is an incredible man. He is the man who has... People have gone to great lengths to honor him. Hebrews is going to talk about him. What, a, what an incredible man of faith he was. But he also had issues of integrity. And Abraham disobeyed God when he had a child with Hagar. That's, that's, that's disobedience. And it was rooted in lust. Here is my handmaiden. Have an affair with her. See if you can have a baby with her. And he does it. That's disobedience. And his disobedience, his disobedience caused great conflict. And Abraham example dishonesty to Isaac. This is another problem. Because Abraham wasn't the only person that lied. Let's just say we're related so that I don't get hurt. Guess what? Isaac did the same thing in Genesis chapter 26. Isaac did the same thing. Where did he learn that from? He learned that from what his father did at their house. Because personal integrity, it begins in your home, around your table, in your living room, in your conversations, in your cars. That's where it's at. So... Let me just, because I think this is critical because, in fact, this concept, maybe word wasn't presented then, but this is what we know of. We know of it as situational ethics. Like Abimelech, he's going to kill me, he's going to take you anyway. Let's just say that we're, we're related. Here's my working definition. 
situation ethics, which is defined as truth based upon the situation or ethics based upon the moment to mitigate damage. We're going to mitigate the damage. So we're just going to say this is truth based upon the moment so that we don't get in trouble. Well, where did you go? Well, you don't tell the whole story because you didn't want to deal with that. So you consider that situational ethics. But I say to you tonight, integrity is a personal decision. It's a personal decision. I would love, I'd love to tell everybody that everyone has integrity the moment you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. That you, that you, that you put your hands down and, and all of a sudden after you have baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you, that the Lord just gives you integrity. It is a choice. It is not something that just leaps on you. Personal integrity is a choice. You make it every day. Make it every day. So what we have to understand is that we as a group, we come together to worship the Lord and the Lord, he works through us and around us and, and sometimes incredibly by us. But we limit God when we don't have pure hands and a clean heart. And pure hands and a clean heart Lend itself to personal integrity. That's where you get that personal integrity. I don't know if this happens to you, but I'm challenged all the time, every day. I'm challenged every day. What will I say and how will I say it? So I found that there has to be some way to rectify that particular situation in our lives. How do I strengthen my personal integrity? How am I going to do that? Well, there are numbers of ways. In fact, I, I, I would tell you I'm not going to exhaust it all. And maybe you might add multiple different lines to this. But maybe just for the sake of our time tonight, I'll, I'll give you um, a few ways to remedy that. Did I skip ahead? Yes, I did skip ahead. Let, let, let's say if a breach of integrity is found in the home, then here's what we want to do. We want to admit and repent. If you, if, if you find that you have an issue, just say, I did wrong. Please forgive me. I'm, I'm curious why we have a lot of emphasis on repentance in the church, but we do not ask for forgiveness of one another in our own homes. Maybe, perhaps, before asking God to forgive you, go to your family, go to your children. Uh, my mother has told this story openly, so I feel I, that it's appropriate for me to do this. But when my mom and dad got married, my father's mother was not religious at all, and she did not really want them to be married, but mom and dad did it anyway. Mom was very young, and dad was very young. They had almost no teaching whatsoever. My mother was a Catholic girl. My father was a Methodist boy. My father's uh, parents were very, um, maybe agnostic, but probably more atheist. And so they didn't understand blessings or permission, the things that they taught to, to us. But years later, there was always this breach. There was always this problem in the relationship between my mother and my grandmother, Harpole. And, and I'll, I'll never forget her telling the story how that one day she finally was convicted of the Lord. And she went privately to her home. And she sat down with mom, uh, grandma. And she said, she said uh, Mom, I have to tell you something. 
when Bill and I got married, we did not have your consent. And I knew you didn't want us to get married and I did wrong. And I went behind your back to do this. And I have to tell you, I cannot live like this. You've always treated me so kindly, but I need to repent and ask you to forgive me. My grandmother started to cry. This was probably one of the first, one of the few times that, that my mother said Grandma Harple ever cried. She cried and they hugged each other. And there was a reconciliation um, there between the two of them because there was a breach. There was a, there was a problem in integrity there. And the way to mend that was to admit it and then to repent of it. That happens all of the time. I mean, that, that can happen all of the time, even outside the church. The second level is real change in conduct has to take place in communication. Nothing is really good unless conduct changes. If you want to change your integrity, then, then you have to change your conduct. If you want your integrity to be, to be founded correctly, then you have to change your conduct. Because what you say is fine, but what you do is the revelation that you have honesty in your words. Number three, be tempered inside and outside the home. You see, when you experience something that's detrimental, especially to your family, especially when you don't do right inside of your home, it ought to make you tempered with other people, not antagonistic towards other people. I'll get to that in a moment again. And finally, if you have downfalls in your own family or failures in your own family, it ought to make you incredibly merciful with everybody else. It ought to make you incredibly merciful with everybody else. Because mercy is this. It, the gift is the same as the reward. Whatever you give out, you get back. If you're not merciful to other people, you get it back. <laughs> and I hate to use myself in a personal example. I really do. But Scott had two kids, uh, Ross and Taylor, Taylor and Ross, and I didn't, I didn't really think he was doing a good job raising them. They got in the back of my car one time, and I, they were acting up, and I turned around and said, listen, I will spank you. I am not your father. <laughs> I tell Scott how bad his kids were. I said, I'm going to get you a book, How to Parent Children. And then, you know, years later, of course, after four of them were in my own home, four of my own children, he offered that book back to me. Although uh, there was never a book exchanged. And one night during church, Roman was so terrible and Reagan was screaming. And I, I think Max was in that group. And finally, I just had to stop. And just asked if all the Harpo family would leave the, the, the sanctuary. We would, Tammy was dragging them all out. We could have a move of God, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, you know, and I, I want to I get to this, but it's interesting. If you did not parent correctly, or if now you realize what you've done wrong, be merciful to other people while they're going through their season of parenting. Be kind. Because you're never really going to be a person of integrity if you are, if you are angry or antagonistic or you're lashing out. So let's go to the opposite of the remedy. The lack of integrity is recognized. Let's go to the opposite. That's when we justify and protect. We justify our action. 
Damage is done. We're justified. Well, you know, no, I was, I was in the world. Uh, I, 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 was, I didn't know the Lord. And, and so that's why I was so poor in mismanagement. Be careful. When damage is done, when tempers, when rejection, whatever those problems are, those sinful practices, don't justify your action. Repent of them or protect your image. Repent of them. Because the opposite of the remedy is to justify and then protect. It's, hear me, everybody hear me. If I apologize to someone that didn't dampen or lessen my anointing and only proved that I could follow the word of God. And I've had to apologize to many people because anytime you have a microphone in your hand for 19 years, you're going to say something that's probably not correct. Amen. And this has happened. And it might have happened tonight. Who knows? So this is something that we have to, it's okay, but to justify and protect ourselves because we don't want to deal with, that doesn't help us with integrity. Integrity is not keeping your self-image, it's being honest when there's mismanagement and problems. And finally, I'm sorry, number two, there's no change, it's status quo, it's the order of the home. Of course, this is a, this is a tragedy if this happens. Secondly, the spirit of a person. Everyone say the spirit. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about our spirit. The spirit of the person features no remorse or a spirit of contrition. When there's no spirit of remorse or spirit of contrition, there's no integrity. Integrity is not holding your head up high and being proud and not admitting your faults and failures and down, downfalls. No, integrity is saying, I've got some areas I have to work on. And I've got some things I am working on myself every day. Tammy is helping me. Every day of my life. Why? Because I'm trying to live up to the incredible word that I preached that I can, I can barely understand it. I'm trying to live up to the scripture itself. Every day. Integrity every day. And so... There has to be a spirit of change. This is why David, if you, if you ever feel like you've done something wrong, get out Psalm 51. Write it on your page, Psalm 51, and pray the entire psalm. Created me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew within me a right spirit. Don't take your spirit from me. Wash me with the hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be white as the snow. He says in that psalm, the sacrifices of the Lord are a broken and a contrite spirit. A broken and contrite spirit. A broken and contrite heart. A broken and a contrite spirit, O Lord, you will not despise. The sacrifices that we bring to God is not a lamb or a goat. or a, It's not an offering. It's not, you can't buy your way into integrity or forgiveness. It's a broken heart. It's crying before God, Lord, forgive me, I need help. That's the sacrifice to God. And if I, want it, if I want my integrity to be intact, I've got to have a spirit change, my spirit change. And the Holy Spirit will not make me change my spirit. The Holy Spirit does not make you change your spirit. Some of the greatest people I've ever met have been in this church. And some of the worst people I've ever met have been in churches. Posing as Christians, living out a devil's life. Dear God in heaven, what's wrong with these people? Angry, bitter, unforgiveness, vindictive, conniving, gossiping, talking about everybody, backbiting, living one way at the church, living somewhere else, 
whoremongers doing things on Fridays and Saturdays, acting like they're holy on Sundays. Give me a break. Listen, you got to have a, a change in the spirit because I want you to worship here in the altar and worship God or wherever you find a place. But I don't want it to be a Sunday event. It's got to be the last just, wow, what a great week with God. That doesn't mean that everything's going to go right, but you've been living according to the scripture. It's your spirit changing. Then finally, judgmental, these judgmental words toward others. This is when there's, when there's no recognition. There's judgmental words toward the, making demands of other people, instructing others through harsh means because I'm going to tell you how to live. I'm going to tell you how to live. Hold on a second. Tell me how you raise your children. Tell me how you treat your husband or your wife. Tell me how you treat your parents. Tell me how you treat your boss. Tell me how you treat your employees. Oh my. Because personal integrity is what I'm doing around those people that are closest to me. So I would say these three things and then we'll end tonight. Where integrity is seen foremost in our lives. It's, it's in our words, number one. Truth-telling, kind communication. Jesus said, let your yes, yeas be yeas, your nays be nays. For whatsoever more cometh of these is evil. Sometimes it's best not to even answer. Just say yes and no. Yes. No. Sometimes it's nice. We, we, one of the worst things that ever happened to us is, is the telephone. The telephone itself. I'm not, I'm not talking about the cell phone. I'm talking about the telephone. People got on the telephone and talked on the telephone. And when they talked on the telephone, then they could talk about a lot of things to other people for a long period of time. And then, then there used to be a thing called three-way calling. And then, then there was party lines. Anybody remember party lines? I remember party lines. I'd, I'd pick up the phone. Me and Scott would try to listen to somebody on the other end. They would say, I know that's you Harpo boys. Get off the phone while I'm, I'm going to call your mother. <laughs> Mostly that was Scott. And, and, and we would listen to all this stuff. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we had, we had cell phones. We had flip phones. We could walk around and have flip. Before that we had beepers and flip phones. Who had a beeper and a flip phone at the same time? It was in great. You would, just, you would hope someone would beep you. You would ask your friends, hey, he beep me. You had this little line, you know. And then we, had, then we had this incredible thing, bag phones. You know, these big three-pound bag phones. Come on now, we had bag phones. And you were something if you had bag phones. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, Nextel came out with like a walkie-talkie feature. You could just walkie-talkie people all day long. Now we've got these phones that have the internet and everything. Now you can post every random thought that comes through your brain. <laughs> You can be upstairs in your bedroom and, and, and Facebook your wife and say, please bring me a Coke. I'm talking about someone specific here in the church. <laughs> We've lost our, our minds because anytime we have emotion, we can just type it out, text it out, send it out, whatever it is. It might even be random things. Maybe it's not true. But we've got the ability to speak and that's the worst thing we can do because as I taught last week, you are condemned or justified by your words. And your words are also what you type. And it's the worst thing we can do is have the ability to say anything we want at any time we want to say it. 
That is a very dangerous thing. I'm standing here to tell you that is a very dangerous thing because the Bible says we're going to bring it to a he's going to bring into account every idle word that we can I just say this that we text <laughs> that we type that we say. So integrity begins with how we speak to one another. Honor and respect and love and kindness and forgiveness. And, and letter B, actions. It's, it's, it's seen foremost in our actions. The things we do, the conduct. And I wrote in your, in your handout because I think these are, these are polarized opposites and they, you, you can't have one or the other. It's kind of like bitter and sweet water. You're either serving or you're, or, or you're selfish. You're either, you're either doing something for yourself or you're doing something for other people. And that, that's true integrity. And finally, before you click all these clickers and you close up your book, just don't click them yet, okay? I'll tell, you the, I'll tell you when to click. Give me just 60 seconds and you click away. The last thing is seen in our finances. This is very simple. Give to God and then live beneath your means. Very simple. Let me just, let me just summarize Dave Ramsey and Larry Burkett and all the other gurus down into two sentences. Give to God and live beneath your means. Give to God. That means you give the first, free, first fruit of your increase, your 10% and your offerings, whatever that amounts to. And then secondly, whatever you make, spend less than you make. Case closed. Because if you don't, then your integrity will look like this. Well, you know, I really wanted all that stuff for Christmas, and I just put it on my card. I knew I couldn't pay it back, but maybe I could, and I wasn't sure. But I really wanted it. Listen, someone else will take care of it. Do you know how many trillions of dollars Americans are in debt in their credit card? They have no intention of paying it back. The average student is leaving college, and they're already $13,000 in credit card debt. That does not include, that does not include the debt for their school and, and, their, and their automobile and anything else. The average, $13,000 in credit card debt. They have no job and no way to pay it back. But we have issued credit cards like there was candy and everyone loves all this stuff. And so we're going to buy things that we, don't, that we, we don't need to impress people we don't like with money we don't have. And when we get done with all that mess, then, 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 then we want to figure out how we can have integrity in finances. Integrity in finances are pay the bills that you have. Don't incur more bills.